Welcome to Season 5 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise in facilitating leadership education, training, and development. Interested in keeping up with the latest conversations across the leadership discipline? Want to add more to your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design without changing your routine? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And we are both thrilled about today's episode of the podcast with NDSL Special Issue Editors, Drs. Marcy Levy-Shankman and Ralph Gelati, who recently edited Volume 2021, Issue Number 170, released in the summer, entitled Using Inventories and Assessments to Enhance Leadership Development. Welcome to the show, Marcy and Ralph. Thank you both so much. Thanks. It's great to be here. So before we get into conversation, I do want to share a little bit of background about how this episode came about for our listeners. So earlier, what was it, Dan? Early 2021, at some point in 2021. Sounds about right. Right around the turn of the year, yeah. Yeah, so Dr. Susan Comavez and Kathy Guthrie, supporters of the show as well as our role models in our head and in life, asked us about, you know, could, would we mind talking about NDSL in our shows? So at the center of our work is conversations that we'd have at conferences when NDSL issues, as other journals come out, like we definitely would talk about these when we saw our colleagues in person. And so it feel, felt like a really natural fit. This year, we've invited guest editors of issues um, since, gosh, the beginning of the year. So we've had doctors Mark Hurwitz and Rachel Thompson come on and talk about their perspectives on followership education. We had doctors Krista Soria and Matt Thompson discuss their evidence-based practices in leadership development. And we had Dr. Sonia Ardwan talk about leadership learning through the social class lens. And so we're excited today to have y'all come on and talk about your special issue, which I think Dan and I had definitely are excited to talk about using inventories and assessment to enhance leadership development. So we're excited to have you. Can't wait to, to dive into this. In fact, this is the, the chapter in Kathy Guthrie and I's book, The Role of Leadership Educators Transforming Learning, that looked specifically at using uh, self-assessments and inventories, uh, both for self-reflection as well as for observing you know, others, uh, was, was just a joy, a joy to write and, and, to, and to really think about because it is, it's one of those things that you think is just so inextricably like, linked to leadership education. And so I'm, I'm, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about some of the application and practices that y'all have kind of squeezed out of this, both through your own practice and some of the things that you may have kind of learned or have maybe uh, telepathically absorbed from the authors as you went through the, the writing process. So, so Ralph, you've been on the on our podcast before last September uh, to talk a little I bit have, about, yes. and uh, so good to have, have you back. And I'm going to refer listeners to that, that September uh, 8th, 2020 episode to learn a little bit more about you. That one was called What Academic Leaders Can Do to Navigate Crisis, which was very timely. Uh, um, right around around that time, but but Marcy, this is your your first time uh, on on the podcast, and we're excited to to have you. And so, Marcy, I think you were definitely one of the first people that I met in the leadership educator world back in 2010. So Scott Allen, who we've had on the podcast too, he was probably like like patient zero or what have you, as far as like my like entrance into the into the field, because I had reached out to him when I was writing my dissertation, and then I kind of like name tag stalked him at 
that LEI back at, at USF in 2010. And he was so gracious with, hey, man, yeah, don't be weird. Like, let me introduce you to people, you know, and um, you were one of the first people. In fact, you may have been like the first person because I think you were all on a conversation out out during like the reception or something like that. And then fast forward to two more years later at at our, uh, again, legendary Lauren uh, LEI 2012, where it seems that was the epicenter of of so much leadership education, uh, innovation and conversations and networking and whatnot. I remember I um, I was still so new to the field though at that point, I remember walking in to, John Dugan was giving a keynote and I was just kind of walking in like, you know, without anybody, I didn't, I didn't know anyone yet. And Marcy like, w- without even like, like she just like walks, she's walking right by me and she's like, Hey, Danny, you know, you want to sit here? And I was like, oh, I know somebody. It's Marcy. And you're like, yeah, I just drove in from, you know, from Cleveland. And um, the drive was this and blah, 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 And just like, just totally put me at ease because I was still kind of like, I don't know what's going on with this whole leadership educator thing. And so it was, I really appreciated that. I don't know if I ever shared that story back with you, <laughs> but it was very Man, welcoming. I, have to, I hope you don't mind. I'm going no, no, to go ahead. script here. I need to intervene and just let you know that I had a very similar encounter with Marcy <laughs> and I had, um, was also at a conference and Marcy, I was standing outside of our hotel and here comes Marcy, who I've read some of her work. And she asked me if we could take a cab together to the airport. So here is this sort of icon in leadership education asking me to ride a cab with her. So really funny parallels, Dan, being newer to the field and then having this point. I I hope my Marcy moment comes at some point. (laughs) I've been in 10 years, but I'll fake and be new, Marcy. I'll pretend and you can just act natural and just do the whole wave me over thing. How about it? You you got it. It's a deal. I am... Dan, I, I hate to tell you, I don't recall that oh, that's fine. specific that's fine. moment. <laughs> However, I'm very happy to know that it was a positive experience and that your first interaction was a was a memorable one. And um, I'm going to just be more conscious of making sure that uh, no matter who I'm interacting with, it's always positive. This yes. is a great lesson for life. Like you never know who remembers you from when. So That's yes, right. Lauren, it'll be fun to see you live in three dimension. And I too could invite you to sit down with me for maybe a cup of coffee this time. I've got to vary my- well, you, You've exhausted the keynote and the cab ride. So you got to do coffee, coffee, coffee or beverages. That's right. So. We're going to do something way cooler. We're going to do an excursion so that when the story comes around, <laughs> it's going to be like, so Marcy and I jumped off a cliff and we went That's parasailing. Right. It's going to be epic. Just wait for it. I'll be watching for the Instagram. So, so Marcy, we say all <laughs> right. that to give you a, give you a, a, a an alley to just share a little bit about yourself, how you got into the leadership education. I think then we'll jump into learning a little bit more about the, the issue that, that you and Ralph edited. Well, thank you, Dan. And thank you, Lauren. It is uh, great to be in conversation with both of you. And I always uh, cherish the time that Ralph and I have to talk with each other. We've had years-long conversations that are punctuated by these uh, wonderful interactions at conferences. So for your listeners who are learning about the field, any opportunity you have to attend a professional gathering, particularly live because you get these incidental interactions or virtual because at least you're going to be in community with other leadership educators and professionals. Do what you can to participate because I would say when I think about what jump-started my career and confirmed that this was the space that I wanted to be in professionally, those conferences that I attended cemented that commitment and that sense of belonging. I have been in the field of leadership development my entire career 
And in fact, I would say I entered the field before I knew it even existed as a field. So I'm not going to totally date myself, but I will tell you that back in the day, my first role in student affairs was in orientation. And my job was to hire, train, supervise a staff at a Big Ten institution of orientation advisors. And one of my greatest pleasures was actually teaching a class that was a credit earning class that now when I look back on it was probably my first teaching experience of leadership education. My first formal introduction to the field came through Leadership Inc., which many of us are familiar with, and I'm sure many of your listeners are. And I had a maybe 20 year relationship with leadership in which I realized this is really where I wanna spend my life. What I have not done, however, is taken the traditional route. So while I started out 100% student affairs professional, and Dan, that's when you and I first met, was when I realized that you can be fully engaged in leadership education, training, and development, both in higher ed and out. And in 2010, I was about eight years into my own consulting practice where I was focusing on leadership and organizational development, primarily in the nonprofit sector, which is inclusive of higher education. I was clearly still a student affairs professional, and I was masquerading as an entrepreneur and a business owner. And it took me a few more years to realize, no, I'm not masquerading. I genuinely am a business owner, an entrepreneur, a woman-owned business dedicated to fostering and facilitating individual and organizational development. I have since left that as a full-time focus. I still do a little bit of consulting here and there. However, I decided that if I was serious about learning and teaching about leadership education and, and development, I needed to see what was happening in other sectors. And I promise this will connect to our book. I went into the nonprofit organizational life and leadership of a small community-based organization that was actually focused on civic leadership development. And we were focused on really bringing together individuals across the sectors and helping them explore what it meant to be a leader, both in their individual organizations and more importantly, in the community for community change. And after about four years of that, I entered where I am currently, which is the urban public school system in Cleveland, the Cleveland Metropolitan School District. And I'm entering my sixth year of serving in uh, very unique roles. For the first five years, I was an embedded leadership coach and strategist. And for the last six months, I've been serving as the chief organizational learning officer for the district, which means that I'm basically responsible for ensuring that every employee no matter what their role or position is, has an opportunity to grow and develop their leadership capacity. So the connection that I'll make is that I'm still a student affairs professional at heart, and I've been journeying through different sectors. And Ralph and I were really deliberate in this issue of new directions to emphasize the cross-sectoral environments in which leadership assessments and inventories are used because our students are going into all different sectors. And so we wanted to better understand 
and help those who are working with students to better understand the ways in which inventories and assessments are used to foster the leadership development, no matter what sector that student is entering. So we took this cross-sectoral approach, which I think pushes the boundaries of the New Direction series outside of just what happens in a college classroom. We do do that. We had a phenomenal team of authors that we pulled together to give voice to these different spaces in which inventories and assessments are used both on the higher education campus and with the line of sight that our employees of tomorrow are our students of today. So what are our different sectors doing in terms of cultivating leadership development in unique ways, both in the public and private sector, as well as in the nonprofit sector. So I took some liberty, Dan, I hope you don't mind, to segue from where where have I been to what is this book all about? Love the bridge. It's like a Beatles song. You know, you, you brought us back to the chorus. So, um, no, I love that because you and you're so intentional in the bookends, the author's notes, and then the the closing chapter to to tell that story and to talk about the life kind of the lifespan development process, leadership development process, and the identity development process. And then you're also intentional to to say, hey, yes, we understand that our major readership or audience is leadership educators and curricular and co-curricular spaces, but also leadership training, leadership development, and students are not all going to go into academia and they're not only going to be in student organizations for their entire life. We're preparing them for other roles, other professions, other other parts of their of their lives, and I like that you also included the you know the chapter that looks at um, some uses at you know the high school level and youth, which is desperately needed in, in our literature. And so that, that was one of the things that really stood out to me about about the issue is is how you're spanning all these different developmental levels, and and obviously talking to some great experts that that looked at this from from many different perspectives. Um, I want to definitely focus on the practices. Uh, section of of the issue, so uh, it's it's divided into two parts, and of course, we hope our our readers go back and look at the at this new directions for student leadership uh, issue in in full. Um, but in the, the first part, looks at the purpose, so kind of the background and the utility and whatnot, as well as some critical you know interrogation, if you will, of um, of of using assessments and inventories. But then the second part really looks at practice and implementation and and pedagogy, and so and that's certainly that's my jam. Um, the listeners certainly know that, but that's where. I geek out like crazy is on pedagogy. So, you know, as you all, you know, dive into that and perhaps reflected on what has already been written. And, and I think too, as you were kind of ideating and, and having been a, an, a co-editor uh, with, with Carrie Priest, you know, I, I loved and it's so great to see you and Ralph kind of being like, hey, it's great to get together again. You know, it's kind of like a like a reunion because you spent so much time with your co-editor. I know that just going through everything and trying to figure out why purpose and practices and then how can leadership educators use the the practices section. And I think after that I want to I want to learn a little bit about like any surprises that maybe uh, authors came up with that you were like, never thought about using inventories or assessments for that. So yeah, I, I threw a lot at you, but um yeah I'll, I'll Take it away. I guess Ralph awesome. looks like you want to jump in first, and yeah, then turn it over yeah, to Marcy. Yeah, I can start. And and um, you're exactly right, Dan. And so far as like Marcy and working on this project has just been just been great. Um, and with our team of authors as well. You know, when we went into this project, we sort of highlighted one of the central theses of of the book, which is really that um, 
leadership assessments and inventories can play a really critical role in leadership education and development and practice. And what are the strategies and concepts and principles that can help to elevate, enhance, and improve the use of assessments and instruments across this lifespan? Um, we recognize that there would be lots of different types of applications that we could focus on. We recognize that the marketplace for assessments and instruments is fairly robust. So there are any number of tools that we could draw upon. And we also recognized that um, there are many uses of these instruments and assessments and tools, but also many abuses. And in what ways could we feature an issue that would bring together diverse voices to allow for some real deep, thoughtful investigation of the purposes and effective and ethical uses of these instruments and tools, but also have a lens towards practice and application. So that's really, I mean, one of our very early planning conversations regarding the issue focused on sort of the ideal structure for this particular issue and what we imagined. And that's what led to sort of the two-part purposes and practices um, organization of it. That's so helpful because I remember so long time ago, maybe four years, I worked in the leadership program director role. And one of my biggest challenges is what assessment do I use to build some con continuity? And, and instead of picking like, well, we got a workshop slot on Friday, we'll do this. And then the second time we'll do this. It, it really, you know, I could have used this work then to help me figure out some of the, the thought process. Like I could execute the workshop, but how do I know what my students need? And then how do I find the right tools at the right price point for it to be effective and useful, not just in student orgs, but also when they go and graduate and get jobs? So Lauren, I'm so glad you raised that because one of the really powerful um, purposes that I think that this volume uh, was driving towards and accomplished was to increase the intentionality that our leadership educators and professionals can employ when making those decisions. So you're reminding me, Lauren, in fact, of a very specific element that's in the first part of the book. And I know, Dan, you wanna focus on the practices section, but in the first part of the book, the article by Ryan Satterwhite actually presents the reader with a decision tree and helps a reader walk through how do they decide what is the best tool for them? So you're giving voice to the anecdotal evidence that we've all heard or experienced that the leadership professionals need help in making decisions. And we wanted this volume to be a tool that can be used in very practical ways to help individuals decide why they might wanna use a tool to what end and how do they then best use that tool? So this is an inherently pragmatic publication. We've forced, if you will, let's say we cultivated among our authors a commitment to application. And it didn't take much because they honestly are almost all practitioners in the field. And what we asked them to do was be really deliberate in sharing the why. Why do you want to use a particular tool? How do you even answer the why question? How do you design? So to your point, Dan, the pedagogy, how do you have a very intentional curricular design 
what is your pedagogy for implementing a tool? How do you very deliberately engage the learner in a learner-driven process for a desired end? And that sequence you'll see in almost every single one of our chapters, whether it's in the first part of the book or the second. It's embedded in the first part. It is explicit in the second part in the practices section. Yeah, I feel like I'm in a, in a in a pedagogical candy store having this conversation. And <laughs> you haven't heard that one yet, have you, Lauren? Um, and uh, and just kind of reflecting on on the you know the articles that I've had a chance to dive into here. Um, with you know, I, it, and it speaks to the different experiences that you've had in the field over over the time that you've that you've been engaged in all these different spaces. Because while there's certainly a, you know a lot of different uh, self assessments you can buy from the, the self assessment candy store, you know, like not just what are you in the mood for, but like the why, the intentionality is like such such a it's it's probably one of my favorite buzzwords and it's integrated into a lot of the workshops that I do and I love that that you uh, commissioned uh, Anna Myers to do that article that looks specifically at aligning specific tools with desired outcomes and obviously she focuses on the co-curricular undergraduate context but that is so important regardless and so love that one and, and I'm sure we'll come back to, to some conversation about the alignment I also want to rewind a little bit talk about what was said about the like the and well too and love the article on the ethical use of inventories one of the things that that came up at my institution we were a strength-based campus for about six 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 to seven years maybe we still are i'm not sure the grant ran out but we're so we still have some thousands and thousands of codes hanging out but one of the things that we realized when we we sent about six or seven of us to one of gallup's big week-long strengths uh, we, we all became certified coaches and we learned so much from that training. And this isn't an advertisement for Gallup. It's we learned so much about what we were doing wrong when we were facilitating strengths-based workshops that we we coined the term strengths malpractice because we were like, wow, we're being way too prescriptive with this. This needs to be more exploratory, like and starting to understand some of the major differences too between the Gallup Strengths Assessment or Clifton Strengths. They changed the darn name every couple of years. Um, and MBTI and DISC. And, and I love that chapter too, that later on with, with graduate students that looks at DISC and Myers-Briggs and, and, and Clifton Strengths. But what are these tools going to get? What's the why? What's the intentionality? What are the desired learning outcomes? What part of a student's or learner's you know, leadership development are, are we focusing on? Do we, do we want them to then reflect on the results? Do we want them to use it as an observational tool? How does this connect to the outcomes of this particular class or workshop or what have you and and making sure that you're that we're not doing things in ways that are misused. I think one of the primary examples we had with strengths was we had instructors that we were coming to some of our workshops for faculty um, that were like, oh, so if I'm creating student teams in my class, I want to make sure that I have uh, people that have, you know, strengths in certain domains, you know, and so I want somebody strong in relationship building and somebody strong in execute, you know, and if I have too many in one or the other, then it, the teams aren't going to work. And we're like, no, it's all about having the conversations about the individual differences that they have. They can use the tool to have conversations like the team talent map or whatever, but we don't want you like prescribing and meddling like you're doing a fantasy football team. Like this is not, that's not the purpose. It's more for analysis and learning and dialogue and conversation and shared language. Not you're creating these super teams, you know, or these Avengers or, or, or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. All right, I'm off my soapbox, but like that just so spoke to me about what, what y'all have, have pointed to as such an important point and something that we fall into as a trap. I think a part of it is just, we don't know what we don't know when we're first starting to teach and, and to facilitate 
leadership learning because there's so many assessments and inventories out there. But once we, and th this, this uh, issue as a resource is, is just fantastic to help to educate folks on, okay, here's what's out there. And, and here are some things to be really critically aware of as you're making these decisions and aligning the, the use of these tools with your learning outcomes. If I could just add to that, Dan, you know, one of the things that's really interesting, and we try to cover this in three chapters as well, is that the, the leadership literature, right, and under, how, how, finding ways to simplify leadership as a concept becomes sort of desirable from a scholarly perspective to try to sort of simplify, condense it, reduce it to some components that are easily digestible. And I think the same could be said from the assessment and instrument side. Can you can we have a shared set of language and tools and concepts that are reducible and intuitive to try to make leadership easier to digest? And that runs the risk of abusing some of what, what you just or any of the other instruments. You know, I think that's a that's a, a great idea only because it's our job to kickstart the learning. And so if we can get reduce it so that it's understandable and then your students go out and they're more curious about it, whether it's curricular or co-curricular, I feel like then we've done our job. Like that ending section, like if you want to learn more, here's a whole bunch of stuff you can get into. I feel like that's that's the true value in the experience. So you're right. Like there are some, you know, not takeaways, but there are some some sacrifices you make. However, in the long run, again, I feel like it's our work to to jumpstart jumpstart that learning. I will also, so, you know, Dan mentioned a little bit about how the, the faculty member he was working with said that, you know, in my class, I'm going to put folks in teams and stuff like that. Um, and we all generally agreed it wasn't best practice, uh, which is awesome. Um, I will, I wanted to ask you though, are there like ways that you've used the assessments, especially in hindsight, like after going through this project, like are there ways you've used the assessment differently in your teaching experiences or your training experience? Great question. Um, so as I mentioned in an earlier podcast, much of the work I do is on faculty and staff leadership development through our center. And I do. And so we, the faculty and, and the thinking around assessments that has been generated from co-editing the has certainly changed the way that I view it, Lauren. I, um, a couple have been trying to think about this. We advocate for, and the authors in the book advocate, theory-informed approaches to, to really being intentional, not just in how we select the, but what are the theoretical assumptions? What are the core to design our leadership? And then that might map theoretical constructs. So in the leadership, we have a set of and purposefully interweaving assessments like strengths like three that align with that is one way of thinking. Two, I don't um, I don't naturally gravitate to perspective. So the chapter on the ethical use of assessments and thinking about the way are embedded in and wrapped up in not only the instrument itself, but the facilitation around the instrument. And that has added really allowed me to add a disclaimer anytime I'm in an assessment now in the work I do to really um to be mindful of an identity. That, that need to be understood. And maybe the third one I'll just end on here. In the different practice chapters, there are lots of ways in which assessments in relation pedagogical tools, like uh, and in the, the, um, the, the chapter that was focused on youth. And although we, haven't, uh, although we haven't implemented escape rooms in our programs or courses yet that I'm a part of, I think it's sort of a fascinating model to not only allow for self-reflection and then sort of make sense of it through some so I'll just build on um, what you just finished with Ralph to share a new way that I would say I've been using assessments 
in the informal learning spaces. So I haven't been in a classroom as an instructor in a number of years. My space that I spend the majority of my time in is also with adults, but also with um, students in some informal learning spaces. I really enjoy helping individuals and groups activate the language of an assessment and do this in a couple of different ways. One is to have the results be kind of the anchor to an experience, whether it's an escape room, whether it's a team building exercise, whether it's some kind of, whatever kind of experiential activity and the deliberate use and integration of the results and the framework as a way to make sense of, well, what is it that we just experienced and how do we apply that? You know, it's like the traditional ropes course experiences generally can be fun. The question is, are they meaningful? And it's all in the debrief. And I think you can use assessment results to really strengthen the debrief of any kind of experiential activity where someone can say, well, I noticed this and that this is the content from the assessment so that people are integrating it and at the same time challenging it. So one of my, uh, I think, deep ironies about editing this volume also connects with a deep irony about being an author of an assessment because, frankly, I'm a skeptic of assessments. And people would assume that since I co-edited this, that I love assessments. I actually do not love assessments. I am inherently skeptical of most assessments. And I would say what this work has allowed me to do is give voice to that skepticism in some very constructive ways and finding others who also believe that to use any kind of a tool effectively, we not only have to look at its theoretical foundation, whether it's normed and who is it normed on, looking at some of those issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the creation of an assessment or tool. We have to look at it through how we use it. And I think it's the the volume, the articles that were written and my own use of assessments has really matured as I've learned how to be essentially in dialogue with the assessment itself. So any assessment that I have utilized, I am now finding myself more and more apt to look at who was part of creating it, what's the data. Now, I'm not a big statistics person, but I do care. And the psychometrics of an assessment, is this a Cosmo quiz? That totally dates me. Sorry, listeners. That refers to the Cosmopolitan magazine that used to have these 10 question quizzes that suddenly people were like defining themselves by. And I think the leadership industry is susceptible to those quizzes. We have tons online that people say, oh, well, there's this great assessment. Go to this. It's free. Well, sometimes you get what you pay for and that can be really damaging. So whether it's free or whether it's paid, I think we owe it to ourselves and whomever we're working with to interrogate, to challenge, and to validate results. And just because you validate some of the results may not mean you validate all of the results. So I am very in favor of a reflective process and even an interactive process with the results themselves to say, which of these results resonate with you? Which 
tell you something about you that you may not like, well, you don't get to ignore those. And which of the results just aren't you? Because no one assessment will fully define who any one person is. So we each have an opportunity. And frankly, I think we have a responsibility to engage in that kind of a dialogue, if you will, with the results themselves and engage in that critical thinking. You shared so many great notes, Marcy. I almost wish I had 20 more minutes to just follow up on that one response alone. So I will start with, I love that you shared what you you both shared about identity because so when I first uh, took the strengths-based, it was strengths-based at the time. It had a different title. First took it about 13 years ago and I was fine with it. I took it blindly. I didn't know, but I appreciated the language behind it. But then my natural instinct was to think about how people who look like me or were my age or, you know, had similar, you know, identities as me, were they included in that space? Because I knew my lived experience as a black woman was just very different than others from all aspects. You know, the time intersectionality was not as popular as it as it is now or not popular, but more mainstreamed. And so I love that. And and to speak to that point, I had that qualm with Gallup until they opened a Black center for research. And now they have a whole center dedicated to studying the Black experience in the workplace and tying it back to the tools that they use. So that's been super helpful. Um, Second, the most common comment I got from students when they went through the different training, so MBTI, strengths, was I now have some language to use to describe myself. And there's so much value in helping students communicate who they are. And I know for me, my professional purpose is centered around that. So I I would gravitate towards these assessments, but I was never taught how to evaluate. And I think the book Uh, the issue speaks so much to how do you really, what questions do you need to ask about yourself and about your program and about your students, which to me is just, it's, it's, it's a resource that's beyond due. So, so, you know, I know I'm extremely grateful for it in the space. And, and, you know, the last part is I struggle too with critiquing. I'm nice. And so I don't want to, you know, I know how much work it takes to do research, to write books. Like, you know, I'm in the middle, I'm at the end of chapter two right now. So I know what it takes and I don't want to criticize anybody. Um, I feel like though, it's more like making meaning for it. And as we're making this meaning, can we then share our thoughts or opinions to contribute to the conversation around this language? My hope is in like 50 years, that's what the language will be instead of critique research, because I feel so mean, but Maybe it's just we keep we extend that make meaning label to make it feel more to make it feel nicer. Gosh, I feel like a Gen so Zer. <laughs> I I don't know. I appreciate that, Lauren. And I would say you're not the first person who I've heard that from. That you don't you maybe don't see yourself being comfortable with or able to. I would maybe reframe it as ask questions, engage in inquiry. When you get the results or when you look at an assessment, ask some questions about its construction, ask some questions of its use, ask some questions of the value of the results. It's maybe not criticizing, it's more inquiring. So if you want to shift that a little bit, I think you'll find yourself very comfortable doing it. I, I love that because I'm very curious. I'm like, hmm, how about that? And I use the curiosity mm-hmm. in parenting and teaching and te- like in, across the board. So yeah, definitely appreciate that. 
Yeah. And I think too, that that's probably one of the barriers or challenges or like the risk factors with using these inventories and assessments is like, where do you go for professional development around how to use these effectively and and with intentionality? I mean, certainly we've got this great resource here. There's the, I mentioned the chapter that that Kathy and I have in our book, but there wasn't that much out there except for kind of like one-offs in a journal article or or chapter or or what have you. Um, And then the huge costs associated with getting certified in some of these like strengths or MPTI or, or the, um, the Kuzis and Paws or the LPI. I mean, if you can drop a couple grand, I mean, you can get certified in these. And, you know, sometimes we're like, like we have a couple colleagues that are like, well, I'm certified in MPTI. I'm like, I'm glad you are. I'm probably still going to use it in my class, but I'm not going to use it to the extreme that you might. If I could get you to come in and, and be a guest lecturer that day, that might be great. And so I just, you know, just putting that out there that that, that is certainly a barrier with this, but I think that what what y'all what you and your authors have put forth in this issue definitely creates a nice foundation for exploring this with with more criticality and with more rigor and and, and with more sensibility. So kudos to you for that, Marcy. Do you want to jump in on something? Because I've Thanks. got one one last question for y'all. Uh, back to back to pedagogy, my favorite topic. So go ahead. <laughs> I I just want to add to your point, Dan that one of my surprises, you mentioned this at the outset, like Mm -hmm. maybe we would share a surprise with you. One of my surprises was how very large the marketplace is. And you've just articulated what I think my assumption was, which was, this is going to be a tough book to write because there are only six or eight assessments that people use. And Ralph and I even had a strategy for when we brought in these authors, how are we going to decide who's going to write to what assessment? And without even opening to the index where we have a whole inventory, no pun intended, of inventories, our authors selected two to four assessments to review, and there's very little overlap from chapter to chapter. So we could have spent the entire half an hour reviewing all of the different assessments and tools and inventories that were reviewed in the various articles, and you would not have heard all of the usual suspects alone. You would hear the usual suspects like you've heard, MBTI, DISC, LPI, you know, it's alphabet soup. There are at least, Ralph, I don't remember now how many, there are at least, I think, 25 that are written about in the chapters themselves. And then in our appendix, we've got listed another probably 80. So the marketplace is huge. The costs associated are definitely real. And we want to remember that we want to be ethical in our use of these assessments. So I would say, arguably, if you want to use an assessment that requires certification, find someone who is certified unless you have the resources to get certified. Please do not use uh, an assessment that requires certification if you're not certified, because that actually can cause damage. It can be harmful. And that was one of our messages was we wanted each author to clearly communicate which of these assessments can be implemented by someone who's not certified and which ones require certification. There are lots out there that do not require certification. They do require preparation. And so that's a really important note that I wanted to make for your listeners, that we need to be sure we are well-prepared to administer whatever assessment we've chosen. Yeah, because otherwise it's, you know, to go back to the the term I used earlier, like the malpractice, you know, it's disc malpractice, it's path goal leadership questionnaire malpractice, it's whatever malpractice, you know? And so um, the more that we can learn about 
the the impact of, of these assessments and and whether it be the the ten question quiz from Cosmo or the LPI. I mean, we need to know what you know how we're going to interpolate and and live with the results of of our assessment. All right, so I've got one. I guess a last a last question for for both of you, and then we'll, we'll we'll wrap up. But I feel like we could talk for the rest of the day and, and the candy store here. So uh, one of the things I love that y'all included. Oh, and um, before I say that. Definitely for listeners, like the appendix with the select leadership assessment resources that, that Marcy just mentioned, like, oh my gosh, it's a gold mine. So it's a, it's a side candy store. All right, enough with the candy store metaphor. All right. So one of the things that you closed with in, the, in your final chapter, when you're looking at ethical uses and critical kind of interrogation of, of these assessments was one of the themes that you had come across was the coupling with other pedagogy, um, which, which I absolutely love, coupling with the use of assessments and inventories with other types of leadership learning, simulations, group activities, reflection exercises. So what are some of your favorite couples, Marcy and Ralph? That is a great question. Um, I think the two that I use most frequently that I just love I love coupling assessments and instruments with case studies. I use so many case studies in my own classroom instruction and in our faculty and staff leadership development work. Um, I think the cases, if they can be really tailored around the unique goals, issues, challenges that the the group is working through or working with, um, and then using the language of the assessment or instrument to make sense of the case and to also build in reflection around one's own strategy in responding to the case. I think that's a really powerful learning opportunity there. Um, and the second would probably be the simulation idea that we're, I, I haven't fully, um, I haven't done a lot with it myself yet, but it's an area that I want to do to, to sort of grow deeper in, 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 in really thinking about because, um, the more opportunities we have for experiential education and experiential learning, I think that's really where leadership development and pedagogy can thrive. That's, that's where so much meaning can take shape. And if there's a way to couple the assessment or instrument with the experiential education, such as a simulation, um, I think that's just really powerful context reflection and analysis. I, w- I would add um, to what Ralph just said, my highest and best of use of assessments, I believe is with coaching and whether it's a formal coaching relationship, or if it's mentoring your ability to help someone see their potential, their opportunities, their obstacles by activating the language of an assessment with observed behavior, with dedicated goals that they are trying to work on your ability as a coach or, and or mentor to integrate the results of the assessment. And not that you have to be the expert, it's asking the questions. So back to Lauren, what I was saying about using that inquiry mindset, I've learned so much about the power of questions so that you're activating that person's own perspective taking, meaning making to weave together the results into their daily experiences with others, their own reflection. So I think that's the first place I go. The second is just pure fun, which is I think when you can engage a group in how do they apply the assessment results to better understanding their group process. So whether you give them a decision-making activity or a construction activity, to Ralph's point, that experiential learning, having them even bookend the activity with looking at their results before 
thinking about what do they want to practice, then having them reflect afterwards to say, did you practice it? Because it's amazing how quickly we forget our intentions. And at the flip side, the power of setting intentions. So how do I actually focus on one specific behavior I want to demonstrate or one specific way of understanding the dynamics? And then did I do it? And what did I observe in others? I think that can deepen the learning in profound ways and activate those results, which is, I think, ultimately why we want to have people help themselves by taking these assessments. Thank you all both for sharing so many gems and words of wisdom and, and kind of demystifying something that or a concept that's been out there for so long. And I don't want to say largely misunderstood, but I feel like there were a lot of folks for, like me looking around for something like this. And so it's valuable that this resource is available, not just the, the purpose part, but also the practice. How can we take this work and, and use it in our classrooms, use it in our leadership programs? Um, we're grateful for your time today, as well as your leadership in the field. And we want to wish you the best of luck as you continue to work in your communities, as well as a nice, happy holiday. I hope you get all of the good food and delicious, joyous meals and good times uh, that are available since we're right around, we're recording early December, but we're right around the holiday time for everyone. Thank you. Thanks for all you're doing with the podcast too. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Dan. It was a joy to be together. And uh, thanks to your listeners for being so invested in the work that they're doing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Remember, you can download all our episodes on all available podcast platforms. And when you go, please make sure you rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. That's right, Lauren. We also invite you to interact with us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod. That's L-E-A-D-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R-P-O-D. And on LinkedIn by searching for the Leadership Educator Podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn by name and on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Underscore Leadership and Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And a wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies now at the University of South Carolina. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our listeners. During the season, you will hear episodes featuring International Leadership Association members working globally to drive leadership education. Visit ilaglobalnetwork.org slash podcast for more information and to join the association. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without our chief partner, the Association of Leadership Educators. Please check out the ALE and all it has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you will listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts.